service. Good morning. Oh, man, gloves off now. I don't have a timer. You guys can stay all day, right? We're good? All right. Be good. Be a good Samaritan. Treat people like you would have them to treat you. The golden rule has become a sort of humanist gospel that even many religions and sects of quote-unquote Christianity seek to make the center of their beliefs. But is it good enough? This morning, we're going to examine the parable of the Good Samaritan and examine the heart of the issue. Now, if you'll be so inclined, please turn or tap your way to Luke chapter 10. It is there we will dive into our text for the sermon today. First, I'd like to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord, that we could be here or online, Lord, just worshiping your name. Father, now we just pray that your word be made manifest through your scriptures and that you above all, Lord, will be glorified. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. To give us some context of the events that are leading up to this parable, the 72 that Christ had commissioned to go out and to speak and to do work had returned, and Jesus was rejoicing in the will of the Father for they had been allowed for what they had been allowed to see and the work that they had performed. It is during his discussion with his disciples when a lawyer or one who is an expert of the Mosaic law interrupts to ask a question. Of Jesus. Now, if you're new to church or you don't really know a whole lot about the Bible, the law was given by God to Moses at Mount Sinai, and we know this is the Ten Commandments. But in Torah alone, there were 613 laws that regulated the everyday lives of the Israelite people. Looking now to Luke 10, starting at verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now we see here the expert of the law in his arrogance attempts to test Christ on the law. And in typical Jesus fashion, he responds with a question, flipping the script, and in this case, pushing the question back onto the lawyer. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. In a moment, we're going to see that Jesus affirms this response, but I want to jump over to Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, to give us an idea of why this response is accurate. In this instance, from Matthew's gospel, Jesus, once again, is being questioned by another lawyer, so that as to what the greatest commandment actually is. And he responds in this way. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The greatest, com the greatest commandments encompass what it means to follow the law given by God to Moses. To break it down, we can divide the law into two groups. The first four, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a carved image. Uh, don't bow down to it or worship it. You shall not take the Lord's God your name. I got this wrong in the first service too. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There we go. And then remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The first four laws are concerned with loving, honoring, and to being devoted to God. Then laws 5 through 10 speak to loving and honoring others around us. Honor your father and mother. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, don't covet anything of your neighbors. And as we examine these laws, we can see at the center of all these things is the glaring attribute of love. To honor God and others would be at the very essence to show love to God and to <clears throat> show love to others. The essence of the law is love. Love is the essence of the law as much as oxygen is the essence of the air we breathe. It is absolutely essential. Love is the essence of the law in that it was loving to God not to put anything else in front of him. It is loving to your neighbor not to steal or lie or murder them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This is what it means to follow the law. Back to Luke 10, verse 28. And he said to him, you have answered correctly and you will live. Something about Jesus' response kicked off a little bit of uneasiness in the lawyer. Perhaps he thought he was good at following the laws about loving and honoring God, but one question remained. Who is my neighbor? In other words, who do I have to follow these commandments with, and who are the outliers? Who are the people that don't count? Who would I have to treat with the utmost kindness and compassion and give respect to? And who am I off the hook for? Let's be honest, people. Loving people, it's, it's hard. All right? You guys can say amen. That's, that's good. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> Verse 29 through 37 says this, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. Real quick, three things in the parable that stick out to me about the kindness of the Samaritan. The first point being, the Samaritan had an overwhelming compassion towards the injured man. Overwhelming compassion when others deliberately left him to die. When looking upon the injured man, he saw not the cultural enemy of his people on the road lying naked and half dead, but a man in need of help. Now, if you want to get context behind this, if you don't know anything about the Israelites and the Samaritans, these two groups didn't mesh very well. They absolutely hated each other to the point where they considered each other to be the dogs of humanity and they would go down roads and avoid other people just to make their trips longer just to get around it, okay? They weren't good. It wasn't good. 
And the lawyer could not even bring himself to utter the word Samaritan in his response to Jesus' last question. Point number two, he interrupted his entire journey and mission to care for this man and his wounds and his well-being. He gave selflessly, even setting the injured man on his own animal, while a Samaritan walked the remaining journey. Point three, he did not cease to care for the man even after he departed. He was going to come back and pay whatever it was that would be needed to help him. To say it plainly, not only was he overwhelmed with compassion for the man, but he was overflowing with kindness and generosity. This was the example of what it means to love your neighbor. So in response to this, one clearing question I have is this. Why did Jesus respond in this way? Or frankly, why did Jesus tell him to follow the law and he would receive eternal life? We often read this parable and think to ourselves that Christ is teaching us a way to be kind to others. And admittedly, I sat in this camp for years and years and years. I mean, how many Sunday school lessons have you heard growing up where they just end with the good Samaritan, how you want to be the good Samaritan, do good things to others? But if we look at the initial question from the lawyer, he didn't ask, what do I need to do to be kind to others? He asked, what do I need to do to have eternal life? After all, we know that Jesus himself declared, as recorded in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, not the law and not by my works. Jesus also told Nicodemus, as recorded in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Only by belief in the only begotten Son of God as our Savior can we avoid condemnation. The Apostle John also records John the Baptist exalting Christ in this way. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Only through Jesus and by Jesus are we saved. The law cannot redeem us, but it does show us our fallen state. You see, church, Jesus responds by telling the parable not to give the expert of the law a path to heaven by the works of his hands, but to expose the fallen man's fallen heart. Jesus knows this lawyer's suffering from the same issue every human being is born into, a fallen and broken state with a fallen heart bent towards sin. Mankind had become innately uncompassionate. We are automatically unloving towards God and others around us. And all of mankind from Adam onward has lived in this way as a result of our fallen nature. And it's times when I'm acting unloving and selfishly in my marriage towards my wife that my fallen heart is exposed in my marriage. 
Anyone out there with a perfect marriage? Any newlyweds? Yeah? Wait for it. And it's times when my boss rubs me the wrong way that my fallen heart is exposed in my work. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. In the New Living Translation, as a thought-for-thought thought translation, makes a well-laid-out and accurate reading of this text. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? How bad can I really be? Here's how bad. Here's the bad news for fallen sinners. But I, the Lord, search all the hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Yes, for sinners, this is a big problem. And if you think you're in the clear, don't get too comfortable. Romans 3, 10 through 18, Paul, directly citing Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, says this, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Going back to the conversation between Nicodemus and Christ in the Gospel of John, after Jesus tells Nicodemus that those who do not believe are condemned already, in verse 19, Christ further says this, This is the judgment that the light of the world, uh, the light has come into the world, excuse me, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. We are fallen and we have a fallen heart. We have become corrupted by sin, and it has captivated our very essence, our heart. In another instance, Jesus exposes the heart of the rich ruler. We find this record in several Gospels, but I mean, I'm all over the place, so we're just going to stay in Luke this morning, and we're going to chapter 18. And the ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered him, Why do you call me good? No one does good except no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, All of these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus identified the heart of the rich ruler, a man whose extreme wealth consumed his heart. In this case, the wealthy ruler made an idol of his wealth, and there was no room in his heart to love and to follow God. The law gives us a measure by which perfection is attained. But in our fallen state, in our sinful nature, we fall immeasurably short of the glory of God. The essence of the law is love, and we have a fallen heart. 
Now, I'm looking for some honest people in the building today. I mean, some of us are tempted in our moments of awesomeness to think that we can do this on our own. But then life happens. We recognize that we can't fulfill the law. We can't even come close to loving the way God has called us to love. We fall short every single time we try. For instance, for some of you who are new parents, and you bring home that new baby home for the first time, how wonderful that is. Some of you guys didn't get to the car before those cries started. (laughs) And before long, that child grew up and learned to express itself in ways that make you age faster and faster and faster than you would have otherwise done so. You guys can just pray for me. I have six kids going on seven, and they're all getting there, okay? Just (laughs) throw some prayers up for me this week, okay? And if you're anything like me, you've fallen short of being perfectly compassionate and patient with your children. Some of you may hold political views. He went there. Some of you may hold opposite political views. It's so easy to encamp yourself in your views, so much so that if anyone falls even slightly in another camp or even has diametrically different views than that of your own, they automatically become the enemy of all that is holy. I often wonder how many hours I personally spent watching political video after video on Facebook. I mean, guys, let's be honest, anything, absolutely anything can be made into a political thing. But the more I watched, the deeper and deeper I became indoctrinated into my own political views, and the farther and farther apart I was from the other camp. If you're anything like me, you've fallen short of showing perfect kindness towards others. If you're anything like me, you've treated others like enemies instead of people created in the image of God. Some of you get tired of hearing your coworkers utter the words, I just can't. Some of you can relate to me here, okay? This is a personal thing for me. Nothing grinds my gears more than getting to work and hearing someone at the beginning of the day say, I just can't do it today, okay? Or worse, worse, this, this, this gets worse. How about the communal coffee in the morning? You know, it's like 8 a.m., you're going to get a cup of coffee, and it's sitting there empty on the burner because the last guy took their fill and didn't prep it. Make some coffee! Do you relate to me here? Do you feel me, people? Okay? Let's make some coffee. But if you're anything like me, you have fallen short of showing perfect love to others. Indeed, the essence of the law is love. We have a fallen heart, and we can't uphold it. Ladies and gentlemen, the ultimate moral of the parable is not simply to just be a good Samaritan, although it may in fact be admirable if you can achieve it. No, if you're anything like me, you want to be the person in the crowd that realized when they heard this parable that they could not possibly be good enough and that they are in dire need of help. The hard fact is this, we can't be good enough. And in our striving in sin, God's wrath is stored up for us for the day of judgment, where God would ultimately serve perfect justice to all mankind. And based on the statutes of God's law that is written on yours and mine own hearts, you and I would ultimately and emphatically and without error be found guilty and cast out to spend eternity in hell. Because we could not possibly do enough good to turn back the righteous judgment of our own unrighteousness. There we stay justly doomed for the treason of our hearts against God. 
The essence of the law is love. And in our fallen state and in our fallen heart, we have committed treason against the almighty, sovereign God, and we cannot possibly make it on our own. Looking back to the record of the rich man in Luke 18, starting at verse 24, Jesus says this, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses. Let me say that one more time so everyone heard it. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, let me tell you something, church, if God intervening in an area in your life where you had absolutely no hope does not move you, I do not know what will. Back to verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works." which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, hear me. The essence of the law is love. And in our fallen state, and in our fallen heart, we cannot uphold it. But God did. Obediently, Christ went to the cross, and his body was nailed to that tree. His blood was poured out. And in doing so, he has made a way for all those who have been called to be witnesses of his grace and mercy, to glorify his name in all the heavens and the earth. And if that was the end, if that was it, it would be enough. But it doesn't stop there. Now he invites us to join him, to do the work of the Lord according to his sovereign will. He shows us how to love like Jesus to our children and our spouses and our neighbors. He shows us how to be compassionate like Jesus towards our coworkers, to those we have authority over and those who have authority over us. He shows us how to be kind like Jesus, even to our enemies. And most importantly, he showed us what love is. Because he loved us first. Have you heard his call? Have you been striving against him? Answer him. Submit yourself to the Lord in his extraordinary, overwhelming grace. 
place your trust not in your works, but in the God's mercy, for he is faithful unto his word and has redeemed you in his son, Jesus Christ. Before the band plays one last song, we're gonna be reflect on the words that they have for us, but I'd just like to close in prayer before we go to that, close out this time. Heavenly Father, our fallen heart, our transgressions, our sin is so great and your holiness is unfathomable and beyond measure. Father, without your Son, we would have no hope. Without Christ's death and resurrection, we would be left to stand alone in our unrighteousness before your mighty throne. Lord, we thank you for your loving mercy and your overwhelming grace. May we be led by your Holy Spirit to do your work, to be kind to others and to love others in a fashion by which you first loved us, to walk in the works that you have prepared for us to do. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.